Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alpesland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Between Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? You can reach us from anywhere in the world if you know the country codes. That's right. To get to us at this particular time of day That's over right. here. If you want to get up in the middle of the night <laughs> to give us a call, <laughs> kind of be on the other side of the world somewhere. There you go. Of course, go. You just in case you don't get a chance to call in or something occurred to you during the week. That's the show goes off the air. That's right. You can always get your questions answered any time of the day or night. You can go to our website and send your question in that way. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is take the acronym Altazan's Garage Company. That will get you to our site, and there's a contact bar on each and every page. Just fill out the form and send it in. Lewis will get it back to you within 24 hours. While you're on the site, you might want to look around. Lots and lots of good information. One I put on this morning, an article on climate control systems. This is like, it could be the automatic temperature controls, but it also encompasses the manual temperature controls, which okay. are fewer and fewer. Almost everything now has some form of an automatic temperature control on right. it. Even if you maybe select the fan speed yourself manually, it still has functions that it does pretty much on its own. Mm -hmm. And that is a fairly robust system. We don't see a great deal of trouble. But when you do have problems, understanding how it works will allow you to kind of figure out what's going on and prevent some really, really serious mistakes. One thing that we have seen, there are a bunch of, I'm going to call them actuators. It's little motors. Those stepper motors? Mm -hmm, under the dash. And these move doors, which duct airflow one way or the other and blend air and all that sort of thing. One problem that we see a lot just about every year when it first starts getting warm is folks will cut their air conditioner on, and they notice it's just not cold. Uh -huh. It's cool, but it's not cold. Right. And so the smart thing to do is to either get some information and diagnose the problem or take it to someone who can do that for you. Right. But inevitably, what some people will do is maybe they got a neighbor who's got a little charging thing and, he, oh, I can put some refrigerant in there for you. Well, he hooks up a little thing and squirts some refrigerant in the car, and that just started a cycle which basically is going to end up costing you thousands of dollars and not fix the problem. Exactly, because now your system capacities are much lower than they used to be. Oh, yeah. Before, they were two and three pounds. Now, they're less than a pound. Oh, yeah, and what could happen very often is that you may have a say, a temperature door actuator that is not working fully. What it's doing is allowing warm air from the heater core to leak back into the air-conditioned stream. Correct. That's why your air conditioner is not cooling. Right. It's not the lack of refrigerant. Right. It's reheating. The system is fully charged and operating properly. Now, let's say you've got a 12-ounce, 16-ounce system, okay. and you go dump 12 ounces of refrigerant on top of the charge. You're 100% overcharged. Exactly. Now, that is going to destroy the compressor. It may even unfold the seams in the evaporator core. You just bought probably $3,000 worth of trouble, and you still had not fixed the problem. And I can tell you, it's really unnerving to walk past the vehicle and see the backside of the firewall with the whole dash out of it. Well, I mean, a lot of the new cars, the whole instrument cluster dash assembly has to come out of the vehicle to get to that component. Yeah, very, very often you do have to remove the dash, which is generally 6 to 10 hours in the shop. Correct. And a lot, a lot, a lot of componentry has to come out, generally the steering column, maybe the front seats, the console, the whole dash panel, the instrument cluster, all that has to come out just to access. Just to get the air conditioning box itself. Right. It's and a, then you have to take it out and disassemble it to get the evaporator core. That is correct. Or the doors, blend doors and stuff in many, many cases. So it's just very important to understand what's going on because what happens is that people just notice, well, my unit's not cooling. Uh -huh. And in the past, that meant, okay, well, it's probably low on the refrigerator. Well, right. that's not necessarily the case now. Not now. And 
Another big, big issue we see is maybe one of the outside condenser fans are not working properly. So the head pressure is too high and it's shutting down the system. Correct. And again, if you go in, you already got too high a pressure. That's why it's shutting down. If you go in and charge it Some more, right. Yeah, you really, really do major, major damage. So that's the sort of information you can get on the site. And mention those condenser fans. You can't just look at them and tell if they're bad. No. Because sometimes they won't run at full speed. Sometimes they won't come on. Sometimes they will come on. It just depends on what is going on with that particular fan. Right, and there's a detailed topic on that as well if you go on the site. But what happens with the condenser fans or any fans on it, they can run anywhere from 0% to 99% and anywhere in between. Correct. So they may be running at, say, 50%. They're turning one-half speed, uh-huh. and that's not going to cool the condenser. And all you do is look down and say, well, they're turning, so they're okay. So they're okay, right. No, 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 no. They're not okay. They're not turning at the proper speed. Right. It's not an on-off situation anymore. No, it's not. Many of them are variable speed and generally will command 0, 49%, and 99%. But uh-huh. some of them can actually vary between that. Right. So just seeing that they're turning is not necessarily enough. You have to actually be able to measure the airflow coming through them. Mm-hmm. And another thing is that some of them, one may run at certain times, the other may run at other times, and both of them may run at certain times. Right. So you would actually have to know what the strategy is that the computer's trying to command. That's correct. To, to know check them if it's properly. actually working or not. So just kind of another one of those things where if you don't have the information, and the way to get the information, go to the site, read these articles. If you go to the search bar, you can just type almost anything in you can imagine. It's going to bring up an article. And correct. And we try to put that in very simple, easy terms, uh-huh. updated an article on oil viscosity this morning. And oil viscosity is another one of those things that everybody kind of sort of knows what it is, but they really don't understand exactly. And this puts it, it's not a technical piece going into all the scientific terms and all that. It just explains what viscosity is, why you need a certain type of viscosity, because thicker oil may protect better but it doesn't flow as well. Correct. So we have to balance the amount of flow we need with the amount of protection we need. And that's what engineers do. They actually put a tremendous amount of effort into finding just the right viscosity and just the right properties of oil. That's going to work in their particular application. That is right. Because not every engine takes the same oil. Well, nowadays, 0W20 is very, very common, 5W20. 5W30 is actually starting to go away a little bit. Uh 1030 is all gone. Almost gone. see it in the 1530s and 2050s and all that are just totally obsolete. Correct. And I've... Still see people who, well, I put 15W40 in my car. Okay, God bless you. Yeah, it worked. Yeah, well, you're, you're one of I'm uh, just saying it's probably going to burn worked. up those overhead cams. It's probably going to stretch your timing chain out because you're not getting the proper to the tensioners properly. It may take the catalytic converter out because you have way too much volatility. And what have you gained? It's absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And it's cost you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dearly, I can yeah, almost imagine because right. some of those catalytic converters are $1,200. Oh, easily, yeah. And so it's one of those deals you just kind of need the information because everything has changed so, so much. It has. It's, nothing is really like and, it used to be. So if we're kind of relying on you need the correct the way information. we always did things, yeah. The correct information is the information you need, mm-hmm. not the marketing information. That is A lot of that is out there. Well, that's another thing with – so much of the information, and the Internet has made information just way, way plentiful and way easy to obtain. But you got to remember, a lot of the information you get is slanted. Sure. If it is marketing information, it was written by a marketing person rather than, say, a technical person. He may have consulted with a technical person, and then he took what the technical guy said. He slanted it towards right. his product. Correct. 
Because everybody is number one at something. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> if you're willing to disregard everything else and all the other possible problems you could have, uh-huh. yeah, everything can be number one at something. So that's what marketing guys do, and that's just you know, it's just the nature of marketing. They right. try to make their product look good, but you got to watch because so much of the information that's out, it's not technically wrong. It's just slanted. Correct. And it may not be slanted in your direction. The best thing to do is stick with the oil that the manufacturer recommends for that vehicle through the life of the vehicle. Well, that's right, because that engineer had absolutely no reason to tell you one way or the other. Exactly. He engineered that engine or that oil to operate together. Mm-hmm. So that way, he's covered any lubrication well, problems absolutely. you may ever endure. A lot of endure. times, being in the Baton Rouge area, there's lots of petrochemical folks in this area, a lot of them working refiners and all, and they'll say, oh, I work in a refinery, and I know that. Okay, well, you're looking at it from a standpoint of lubrication only. Correct. But all does way more than lubricate. Oh, it does. All cools, all operates the variable cam time, it operates active fuel management, operates tensioners, it, oper- it does a lot of things. If only looking at it from a lubrication standpoint, you might have been correct. Uh-huh. However, this engineer is looking at it from 30 or 40 different parameters exactly. and getting the best possible compromise. That's why he says it takes 0W20 and not 10W30. Exactly. And you got to remember, the guy who does this, he has access to all those factors. He has an unlimited amount of testing that he's done to back up what he's saying. Correct. So it's always best to go with the manufacturer's recommendation on that stuff. And all that information and much, much more is on the site, www.agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. And we're going to our phone lines with Howard. Good morning, Howard. Good morning. Question, uh, question uh, kind of tying into this oil bit, the new Toyota Camrys, I seem to look under the hood of my wife's car, and there's no transmission dipstick. That is correct. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you maintain that transmission? And I don't want to make you get into some elaborate... Uh, Howard, what you need to do is go to my website and well, just I, type I, the I word... Well, no, but I, <laughs> without getting technical and without telling you go look at the pictures, it's a very, very this. complex setup. Okay, what I did see, I did see a, a pan with a drain plug in it. Uh-huh. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, that I assume is to drain the, the oil. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you put the oil back in there? Well, again, if you don't have some way to look at how to do it, it's a very complex procedure to you without you seeing well, it. Well, should that be changed? By someone who knows how to operate it and how to work on it. It, it takes special tools. It takes all, a scan tool, and you got to know what you're doing. Let me ask you this, something. What would you think, and this is kind of a shade tree mechanic deal, but when you drop that pan... Mm-hmm. Take a small drill wherever it's convenient, tap and drill and put a little plug in the side and then just put in the same amount of oil that you get out. Try it and see. What? You can try it and see. Well, I mean, what do you think of it? <laughs> I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I do it the way Toyota says to do it. Right. Which is uh, probably some elaborate procedure. It is. It is. It is. It takes about a half hour to check it in the shop with the correct tooling. That's right. And there's a reason for that. What in the world would they do something like that? Because that's the way it's got to be. That's everybody, the way the it's not just, is designed. It's not just the Toyota. Yeah, everybody has like gone that. to that. Mm-hmm. It's a complex procedure because it's a complex transmission. Talking about a six-speed transmission. Probably $6,000 to replace it. Absolutely. And to check that fluid is not as simple as putting a dipstick in it. Because well, you've got you fluid just, all kinds of different places in it. you got the temperature of the fluid is going to completely change the level. So all that has to be factored in. Well, now, let me ask you this. Have you changed any oil in those transmissions? Absolutely. Do yeah. it every day. No, well, let me ask you this. About what do they charge now to change the oil in those A couple hundred bucks. Oh, God. Well, what was wrong with the other transmissions? You're going to have to talk to somebody above my pay grade for that, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, Toyota's been running around for an awful long time and yeah. had cameras before, which, uh, you yeah. know. You, yeah, it was a different yeah. transmission. Yeah, forget everything you knew. Different car. Yeah, yeah. well, didn't look under it, huh? Didn't get a, that's an right. engineer to go over it with you. That's right. No, that's the, every new car is that way. No kidding? Yes, oh, sir. yeah. Just about every one. Ford went to that many years ago. Toyota has gone to it. Just about all of them have now. There are no dipsticks on transmissions any longer. What are the trans? What are the chances of you being able to run that car out in mileage and not have trouble with it, and not service it? Yes. Zero. Okay. And what what would be the the service recommendation on that now? Oh, if it was my car, I'd do it at fifty thousand miles. Okay. Well, you've answered my question. Mm-hmm. Toyota, you, I you, think, recommends a hundred, but I would do it at fifty. Would yeah. Be, yeah. Oh, no, looking no, at the no. price of that transmission. Yeah. Yeah, that couple hundred dollars you're going to spend up front is yeah. going to save no, no, six thousand on the end. I was just curious when mm-hmm. I didn't see anything, and yeah. I just kind of did something. No, they don't want anybody tampering with it. That's it. It's just too precise a procedure, and the temperature of the transmission will drastically change the level. So you got to have a way to read the internal temperature of the transmission. You've got to have a way to know that all the fluids circulate through all the ports and all that stuff. I mean, there's all kinds of things, and there are ways you can do it all yourself. But again, you're going to have to get an article on the topic and read it because it's not something I can just explain to you. No, 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 I understand. Probably about a 20-page article in the technical manual. Okay, well, listen, thank you very much. Howard. You guys have a good day. Thank Thank you, you, sir. Bye-bye. 291-6901 be number. If you want to get in touch with us, be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. West. Mimi, your hair is so cute. Who cuts it? Oh, thanks. I got a guy for you. Here's his card. It just says Fallon. Oh, no. It's Fallon. Well, uh, Fallon doesn't have a number on his card. I know. Appointments with Fallon are referral only. But I must cut a lock of your hair. Deliver it to Fallon. He will put it under his pillow for a week, and your style and cut will come to him in a vision. Seems like old Fallon has quite a gig going. Today, everybody's got a guy. If you're looking for an automotive guy, think Agco Automotive. No complications, just quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And with ACO's general inspection, they complete an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so you can budget for the year and keep your car in tip-top shape. So, how much does Fallon charge for a cut? That will come to him in a vision, too. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at ACO Automotive. ACO, it's the place to go. Welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, tune to us. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And that'll get you right straight to us. Got all our lines wide open, just waiting for a call. That's it. We'll help you get started or help you stop or <laughs> whatever in the intermediate may be. Whatever it is. A lot of times I find people tend to be kind of like Howard, and they don't want a technical explanation, but it's a technical answer. Co- correct. There really is no simple answer other than going to something that's drawn out with pictures. That way you can see it and kind of know what you're looking at. Well, it's sort of like the old saying, a picture's worth a thousand words. Correct. And so five pictures is worth at least 5,000 words. And That's pretty technical. You, yeah, if I give you 5,000 <laughs> words, you're not going to be able to understand what I'm saying. Uh-huh. You know? So, yeah, many, many times there is just no way to explain to someone without looking at something because it's just so technically involved. And you can take a few drawings and generally make a very complex subject Pretty relatively easy to simple, understand. at least easy enough to understand what an average person uh-huh. can understand it. But it's sort of like he was asking about this transmission. Why did they do this? Why? Well, the reason they do that is because the fluid level is so very, very critical that if you are 
a quarter of a quart too much or too little, you can have shifting concerns with that car. Right. And so you have to know the internal temperature of the transmission. You have to know that all the ports have been charged. In other words, you have to run it through all the gears. It has to be perfectly level. It has to be all these things that a dipstick just can't provide. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason they have gone to this. And if you want to do it yourself, that's great. You're just going to have to go buy all the stuff to do it. And you have to get get the the information and know how to do it. And they have actually provided ways to do it without a scan tool. That's right. Without a, with a scan tool, it's much easier to know the internal temperature of the transmission. But without, there is a way you can do it. And right, and it's all in this listed out article that you right in the article we've to. got it in there. But it's just too involved to go into on the air. It'd right, probably take me an hour just to explain <laughs> how to do that, and it would still be very hard for the average person to understand. Hey, let's go back to our phone lines. So, Wallace, good morning, Wallace. Uh, good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. Going back to your blend doors on the air conditioning yes, and the heater. Mm-hmm. I've always heard you talk about when you're doing the heater. The blend doors, the the hot water is always going through that heat exchanger. Oh, most cars, yes, sir. And that it's blending back and forth. Mm-hmm. When air conditioning's running, though, mm-hmm. is is it not regulating the clutch on the compressor and keeping the freon at a certain level or the coolant at a certain level? Well, it depends on the year model you're talking about. Whilst the newer cars no longer have clutch, they actually direct drive, and it's a variable displacement compressor. It actually varies the displacement of the compressor okay. to regulate the refrigerant flow. Most of them do, they will actually cool the air beyond the point where you want it and then reheat it. And the reason they do that is because when they do it, it's dehumidifying the air, which makes it far more comfortable to the passengers in the car. Right. In other words, if I just took and, like, say this morning, it's probably, what, 65 degrees out, the compressor would really not run at all. I could just blow the outside air in, except that it would be humid and the windows may start fogging and it would be uncomfortable in the car. So what I may do is drop it down to, say, 50 degrees, dehumidify it, and then warm it back up to, say, 70 degrees to make it comfortable for the passengers. Okay. And that's how it actually works. Now, some of the real new cars are actually going back to water control valves because what they found, they've come full circle. Back on the old cars, you had a valve that was either cable-operated or Mm vacuum-operated. It was actually in the heater line. Yeah, some of them even had a little turn-off valve on the real old stuff. But they would cut off the flow to the heater core, and they got away from that, and they went to where the heater core was always hot and the blend door ducked the air. But what they have found now is that in their quest for better gas mileage, a little bit of heat is always going to leak back in. So the AC has to work harder to remove that heat. So they've actually going back full circle. Now some of the new, new stuff, like your 13s and 14s, actually have water control valves that shut that water off or cool it off to the heater core so that the heater core actually cools back down which allows it to reduce the load on the air conditioner. Well, that's kind of was my thought, actually, mm-hmm. with the efficiency of yes. what they're doing for miles per gallon. And now maybe the EPA only judges the car when there's no air conditioning running and whatever, so they can well, that's get away with it. Well, that's how it always it. was, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I was kind of wondering if they're hurting our gas mileage with uh, having this compressor running Yeah, and the it's time. probably such a small amount that it's it's almost unmeasurable, but when they are mandated to get X miles per gallon, they are basically doing everything and anything they yeah, can that's what that I will think. help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that the added complexity probably outweighs the benefit to the driver. In other words, now we've got a computer-controlled water valve, and we've got more involved cooling system, and yeah, 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 yeah. So the overall cost of maintaining the car just went way up, probably more than any fuel you'll ever save. But right. because our criteria is get fuel mileage, we end up we, with a $60,000 car that falls apart in four years. <laughs> right. <laughs> right there. But it gets good gas mileage. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. All well, right. Thank you, Lewis. Hey, thanks for calling, man. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye.
291-6901 is a number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would certainly love to have you. That's something that's it's coming, and there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, if you're well, going to get a car, it's going to have it in there. Well, that's right. And when you make a decision on one criteria, you can meet that criteria, but it's going to be at the expense of everything else. Exactly. And that's why a balanced approach is always far, far wiser on anything in life, but particularly on cars, because if you start mandating, okay, they have to get this much mileage. Okay, well, we can get that, but we're going to need very, very, very complex technology, which is going to not be real robust, and it's going to cost a whole lot to maintain. Mm -hmm. So, again, we end up with a $60,000, $75,000 car that lasts four to five years, and you can't afford to maintain it. Well, and they used to try to do it with weight. They could only get so much gas mileage out of the the component they had at the time. They started reducing the weight of the vehicles. That's correct. Which included making things smaller, making things lighter, making things thinner. Well, they got to the point where the brakes were way too small to stop the vehicle. Mm -hmm. So then they had to grade back up, which... Mm -hmm inevitably cost the customer in the long run because by the time they figured it all out that vehicle was out of warranty well and again you got to remember when they are being rated and ranked on fuel mileage then they're not so worried about how long this lasts it's exactly. gonna make it out of warranty period sure sure regardless you know no matter what we put on there it'll make it out of warranty period it's just the people who plan to keep the car hundred thousand plus miles that's are the ones that are gonna pay for a it. major major price down the road far more than the fuel they'll ever save sure and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next segment. We're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Linda, I've been so tense lately. Can you recommend a masseuse? Oh, have I got a massage guy. Johan Thundercloud. He's Swedish Native American who uses classic deep tissue massage with natural healing methods. That sounds interesting. His deep tissue green pine cone massage is amazing. Along with the piercing eagle claw technique. Working your muscles with a rhythmic screech. When you hear that, you know it's working. I bet. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, check out the team at Agco Automotive. We keep it simple with high-quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And don't forget about Agco's general inspection, an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so your car will perform for the long term. One thing, though. Do you bleed easily? What? Johan will want to know. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Give us a call. It's 291-6901. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's right. You put a 225 in front of that, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. We sure wish you'd give us a call. Sure. We were talking just a bit about fuel mileage uh-huh. and I'm not against fuel mileage, don't get me wrong. A lot of times people will say, well, you sound like you just don't. I said, no, it's not that. I don't have an opinion on technology one way or the other. As long as I review it and it helps people and it's cost effective, I'm all for it. Sure. And there's many, many things that are that way. The new LED lights, like we've got these LED flashlights, and they are rechargeable so we don't have a car dragging around. They last a long time. They put out a, That's great technology. I love that. Uh-huh. They're really easy I'm on batteries. That's right. Easy on batteries. They're inexpensive to buy. That's wonderful technology. It's just technology that is based on one criteria that ends up costing people an arm and a leg on other things because whoever designed this, whoever, I guess, commanded it, uh-huh. did not do their homework, did not research all the factors involved. Right. 
And we see that more and more and more and more. An example of that, going back to our fuel mileage thing, is sort of like the hybrid cars. And again, I have nothing against a hybrid. If you got one, you like it. God bless you. I'm happy for you. It's just that if you do the math, just the amount they cost extra will never pay for itself in the fuel savings. Right. And in the complexity on top of it. It's very, 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 very complex design because you've got all the problems of an electric car combined with all the problems of a gasoline car. Correct. And all the maintenance of both. So you're probably not going to ever come out. I don't have a problem with it. I right. don't think anyone who wants one should not be allowed to have it. I'm just saying if you make a mathematical decision or a logical decision, I don't think you would choose that. Mm-hmm. And people call me and ask me all the time, what do you think? I said, well, this is my opinion. Right. And my opinion is based on what's it going to cost me to get from point A to point B for the next 10 years that I own this car. Uh-huh. And this is a very expensive way for me to do that. I can do it a whole lot cheaper with conventional technology. Right. I can get from point A to point B with a whole lot less repair, a whole lot less expense, a whole lot less money up front in another way. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that we should be pushing our efforts towards conventional technology, improving that. We see, again, I've said it a hundred times, a Volkswagen diesel rabbit was getting 45 miles a gallon in 1970. Exactly. That's pretty conventional technology, and now we've got all this complexity that gets 45 miles a gallon. Right. <laughs> and nobody can fix it. So let's go back to our far house. Randall, good morning, Randall. Good morning, Lewis. I've got a conventional technology puzzle for you. Go right ahead. All right. And it's also a high-mileage puzzle. Okay. 99 Corolla mm-hmm. with about 232,000 miles on okay. it. Okay. And it was recently in a collision, and, well, I say recently, Mm -hmm. uh, it's been several months now, but for 232,000 miles, that's recently. Yes, sir. (laughs) It was, the impact was with its front end and only going about 15 miles an hour. Okay. The car looked horrible, but drove for about a month, and then it began having difficulties rather suddenly and stopped running. I have begun taking apart the exterior shell and getting into it. The radiator is slightly pressed in. Mm -hmm. My first impression is that a fuel problem is the difficulty. When I turn it over, it cranks, and Mm -hmm. it cranks, you know, for a pretty good period of time if I want to, but, you know, I don't want to go too long. And it doesn't sound like there's a problem getting fire or electricity, but it just doesn't turn all the way over. And I'm wondering if in my solving this puzzle, starting with the fuel supply is, is the best place or if you have any other suggestions. Well, Randall, what you need to do, you're making a few real key errors, and people do this all the time, so I'm not picking on you, but they'll say, well, it sounds like or it feels like. And there's absolutely uh, no way. I've been doing this 45 years, and I can't tell you what no fuel sounds like or what no fire sounds like. <laughs> There's just no way. If you get off on a tangent, now, the way you want to start with this, the very first thing that I would do is I would take the oil filler cap off. Look down there. You can see that camshaft. Uh-huh. Crank the motor uh-huh. see if the camshaft's turning. Okay. Okay. That's okay. And the reason I say that, it's not that likely, but it could have jumped timing or it could have broke a timing belt. And it's really case, easy to do. But it's just so easy to do and doesn't cost anything. And we right. just eliminate a whole lot of possibilities because if that cam's not turning, there's no sense looking any further. You've got to start there. That's the place to start. 
Now, uh, Lewis, I knew I called you for a good reason. There you go. Now, if the camshaft is turning, okay, we can assume the timing belt and all is okay on it. The next thing that I would do is to find someone who can do a fuel pressure test on it. And that's a real, real simple test. In fact, you may be able to rent a fuel pressure gauge from a parts store somewhere. Right. And it's just a little gauge you put on. And if you go on my website and type in fuel pressure, it's going to tell you how to do it and all that stuff. Check and see if you've got fuel pressure. If you have adequate fuel pressure. Correct fuel pressure. You'll have to look it up. It's probably between 30 and 50 pounds somewhere, depending on that particular car. And if you've got adequate fuel pressure when you're cranking, then you can forget about everything in the fuel system. You just eliminate all the possibles that you could spend money on that have nothing to do with that. Now, if you don't have fuel pressure, it doesn't mean the fuel pump. The next thing you have to do is go to the fuel pump and see if you've got power and ground going to the pump. Okay. Because it could be that it's got a sensor or a wire that rubbed through, a relay could have gone bad, and the pump is not running. Mm-hmm. See, so that won't have fuel pressure. So let's say you got no fuel pressure, you check, and you got power and ground to the pump. Well, now you can assume the fuel pump went out. You can check it at the pump. Right. Be sure to check it at the pump. And if sure. you, if you and don't have power else. and ground there, well, then you got to start checking the wiring back one step at a time. But, again, let's go to the scenario that we got fuel pressure. Okay, well, we just eliminated probably $1,000 worth of stuff we could have changed with one simple little test. Right. Okay, now we can go into checking for spark, adequate spark, spark timing, and all those sorts of things. Because basically four things are necessary for a car to run. You know, Obviously, first is fuel, second is fire, third is compression, and fourth is timing. Now, all of those have to be present. Just because you have fuel pressure doesn't mean that the fuel is actually getting into the engine. That's correct. Mm-hmm. The injectors could not be working because the crank sensors... Got a wire rubbed right. through. The crank sensor is gone. Well, bad. when it got hit in the front, it could have damaged the crank sensor. Correct. Not seeing a pull, yeah. so it's not so pulsing it's not, the injector. So right. So just because you have fuel pressure means you need to keep looking. That means the fuel system is working. But again, next thing you have to do is check for a pulse at the injector, which you can actually do with very simple tooling. I mean, right. you probably do it with a voltmeter. Just go across your two leads at the injector and see if it pulses when you crank the car. Okay. So there's simple little tests you can do yourself yeah. that will eliminate. But where most people go so, so far wrong, I say, well, it sounds like this, so it must be this. So we're going to spend money on this. Right. And yak, 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 they end up spending a thousand bucks and still no close to the problem than when they started. And maybe creating a bigger problem with the parts they're using. That's correct. Right. I'm going to have to keep you posted on what I find on this. Yeah, I, I let know me know. But, well, with the collision in the front and all the stuff moved around a little bit, I would not be surprised that possibly a wire didn't get rubbed through. Mm-hmm. Your stuff moves. All that stuff is real close. Something rubs on something. It takes a month to rub through. One of the sensors could have got rubbed through. And then again, it could be totally coincidental that it was wrecked and then something right. else went out. So yeah. just check all those things a step at a time. But start with real simple stuff yeah. and the stuff that doesn't cost much. <laughs> I can do that. If you go guess, guess cheap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can do that. Thank you so much. Hi, right, Randall. All right. Thanks All right. for calling. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive aisle, we would love to have you. Go ahead and give us a call. That's something we see a lot. It is. A vehicle that won't start, you start throwing parts at it, and before long, you're 1000 deep in it, and you still have gotten nowhere. Well, and what happens very often, even on a Toyota that old and with that many miles on it, the odds of the fuel pump being bad are pretty slim. Yeah. Because Toyota fuel pumps just hardly ever go out. I I don't think we've changed two or three of them in the last 30 years. Right. So what people will do is they go to the parts store, they buy a cheap junk aftermarket pump, they take that good Toyota pump out, they put a junk pump in. Well, that doesn't put out the right amount of pressure, so it doesn't run. 
They but say, well, it's a new pump. Yeah, that must not been it. It must be something else. Well, when they go on a tirade of spending money, come back, find out the pump is bad that they put in. Exactly. The original pump was okay. And if you're lucky, you kept the original pump and didn't throw it in trash. Yeah, but we get that a lot. People will tow cars in. Man, they've spent just an inordinate amount of money. And we go back to the first part they changed. They just put a defective part on it. Right. And sometimes we put the original part back on fix the problem and then find the original problem, which Correct. was something totally different. But, yeah, that kind of stuff can happen a lot when you start assuming that a new part is a non-good part. That's the problem. Well, you're making an assumption that's not based in fact. Exactly. It's just based in a belief that is not necessarily true, and it can lead you very, very, very far wrong. Sure. That maybe made a little bit of sense at one time, but it really doesn't any longer. Not today. The only time I ever suggest anything like that is if, let's say your car has a little misfire, it's idling rough, it needs a tune-up anyway. Uh-huh. It needs spark plugs. It needs wires. You know that. It's got 110,000 miles on. They worn slam out. Well, sure. Go ahead and change them and see what happens. Right. It needed maybe, to be done anyway. It needs to be done anyway. May fix it. It may not fix it. If it doesn't fix it, you're really not any worse off because you need to do it anyway. Exactly. It's a logical first step, and it's something you can do yourself. Now, if it's still idling rough and running bad, now you take it to the shop and get them to check it over. Right. We see that in the shop all the time. A vehicle come in with a pattern failure. Mm-hmm. Every one of these fail at this particular mileage. And the part's like 30 bucks. Right. Well, it's cheaper to go in there and put a new part in it's because you know it's a high failure rate. If it's not bad now, it's going to fail anyway, and it's cheaper to do that than it is to test a lot of stuff. Sure. Sometimes replacing a known bad part is cheaper than doing a whole bunch of testing. Sure. So, yeah, but there you have are to, times when you could do that. You have to make an educated decision then. Right. You balanced it out, and you made a decision based on cost. Let's go back to our phone lines with Leroy. Good morning, Leroy. Yes. I'm calling about a 2005 Chrysler 300. Okay. Okay. And coming out of Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, and it was cold. Mm-hmm. I had the heater on. I had the temperature up to around, uh, I'd say, seventy-five or eighty. Yes, sir. And it was doing good. And then all of a sudden, maybe about thirty miles out of Atlanta, it started getting cold. Mm, okay. And the only way I could get it to get any temperature to heat, I mm-hmm. had to turn it all the way to the 90 position where yes, it was mm-hmm. just hot all mm-hmm. the time, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering if there is anything that, that happened that, that I may have to take it to the dealer or what's going on. Can well, you Leroy, you never have, to take a car, never have to take a car to the dealer for anything. There's nothing a dealer can do that an independent shop isn't going to do better for the most part, at least in my opinion. Now you when work- you cycle the ignition, when you turn the car off and you turn it back on, did it start heating again? Yeah. Yeah. Does. Okay. Uh-huh. Most likely what you've got is something in your automatic temperature control. It could be one of the sensors that tells it that it heat. It could be one of the actuators is losing sight of its position. And there's a way an actuator works. It's a little motor that moves a door. But it's also got a little potentiometer built into it that reports back to it what position that door is in. Okay. Now, let's say that potentiometer is reading wrong or not reading. Well, what the computer says is I'm opening this door, but yet I don't see the position. So it starts moving it. As it moves, okay. it starts cutting your heat off. See, it's, see, it's going towards air conditioning, and it's looking for its position. Let me ask you one other question, Leroy. Do you ever get like a clicking noise under the dash, like a click, 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 click? So far, I haven't heard it, no. Okay. So sometimes they do that, sometimes they don't. Sometimes you yeah. can hear that actuator clicking back and forth. Sometimes they don't make a sound at all. The way that would have to be found, Leroy, is you would hook into that with a scan tool, and on that particular one, I think it's a star scan, and you can go in and you can see what all the actuators read and you can see what's being commanded. And if it doesn't match, then you know where the problem is or at least the area that's causing the problem. You just have to go in and trace it down. Could be an actuator that's not reporting back to the computer. It could be a sensor that's reporting improper heat. 
It could be the control head itself is going bad. The key is when you turn it off and you turn it back on, it kind of resets everything until it occurs again. Right, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't cost that much to have that checked. And, of course, we're just about done with the cold weather this year. If it's a big expense and you don't want to fix it this year, well, then that's fine. You might wait till next year. But it may also affect your air conditioning. It may be the air conditioning gets warm the same way the heater gets cold. Okay. So it, okay. it may be a problem anyway. It's just something you need to get checked and see. I would assume it's going to be in that automatic temperature control, either the control head or one of the actuators. I see. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. All right, Leroy. Thanks for calling, man. All right. Bye-bye. We're going to take one last quick little break, and we're going to be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. TJ, I've been looking to tone up, man. You have a personal trainer, right? Yes. I've got the guy. Mr. Miyago. <laughs> He's going to teach me how to wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyago's no joke. Oh, sorry. He begins by filling your shorts with wet sand to provide weight resistance and enhance focus. Then launches into a series of drills like crouching tiger, hidden badger, fire monkey, flogging duck, and highly agitated dragon. Sounds kind of extreme. Yeah, bruh. Extreme results. Everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for the right automotive guy, it's actually Agco Automotive. We make it easy. Quality repairs and a staff you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, you get an annual checkup to diagnose problems that could cost you down the road. You will need to sign a waiver stating you are not allergic to pig intestines and live geese. I think I'm just going to hit the gym, TJ, but thanks. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, you just joined us. It's the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alpsan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. That's the number that'll get you right straight to us. Got all our lines wide open and just ready for a call. That's it. Got a few more minutes before they throw us out of here. Yeah, that's it. Just boom, you're out. <laughs> Swift kick in the rear. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> hey, go ahead and give us a call. We'll try to help you out any way we possibly can. There you go. We were discussing a lot of things during the show, and one of the things that I guess just over and over and over and over and over again we've we've talked about, and I guess it gets boring after a while, but it's just the need for testing as and difference from just going in and changing stuff out. Mm-hmm. There is, like we said, a time when replacing a part does make sense. Right. But I, you have to know that reason. You have to know that, and you have to know why you're doing it, and you have to weigh out the cost. Because everything comes down at some level to what does it cost to do it. Correct. And that's every decision in life. I walk into a restaurant, I spot that big old prime filet, say, whoa, sure would like to have that. It really looks good. How much? 60 bucks? Uh, no, I don't think so. Bring me the hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I exactly. just made a decision based on cost. Right. And we do that all day long. And that is what kind of helps us out in life is that we try to maximize our own benefit. Uh-huh. Everybody does. And that's not counter to the common benefit because if everybody maximizes their personal benefit i think the common benefit will be served as in addition but when we start making decisions based on things other than the overall cost and what happens is that it is difficult to know the overall cost if you don't have experience with a lot of things right for instance people will say well i'm going to buy a new car to save money. That's probably not going to happen because if we look at the overall cost, we're going to pay $40,000 for this new car, and we know for an absolute fact in three years that car will be worth about $20,000. Exactly. Because that's called depreciation. So 
we're going to lose close to $20,000 or 50% of our value in three years. Now, if you divide that out, that's almost $7,000 per year uh-huh. to drive the car. Any way you look at it, that's what it costs. That's a fact. Because before you had forty thousand, and now you got a car that's worth twenty thousand. So if you want to get a new one, you got to cough up another twenty grand. So that's what it costs you. Not to mention your insurance goes up for a new vehicle versus an old one. Well, all that stuff notwithstanding, right? And the thing is, if you make a decision, I had a lady that was in the shop earlier this week, and she's got a Toyota Camry. It's an older one and has fairly high mileage on it, and needs a relatively sizable repair. I want to say nine hundred thousand dollar repair. Uh huh. And she was saying, well, the car's not worth that. And I said, well, okay, that's a decision you have to make. But I can tell you the car that you have got is better than any car you can buy uh-huh. because they don't make a car like that anymore. Right. That car will go 300,000 miles easily with minimal service. $1,000 may sound like a lot, but the alternative, if you buy something new, is thirty. To forty thousand, right? You if you look, buy something used, fifteen to twenty thousand, anywhere from three hundred to five hundred dollars a month. Well, that, on, a, on a new vehicle, I mean, just the sales tax on a used car is going to be more than this. Then it's various, yeah. So I got to say, if it were me, I would repair the car. Uh-huh. However, everybody has their own way of thinking about it, but you just sure. have to weigh these things out, and you have to look at all the factors. When I'm faced with a big decision like that, what I want to do is get a general inspection on the car, find out what kind of shape the rest of the car is in. Because if I do a general inspection, I say, well, look, you got six major problems coming up. Okay, well, now we've got to make a decision. Sure. It may not be worth that. But if the car is basically in very good shape other than this one repair, it may very well be worth this repair. So that's kind of a way to hedge your bet and make a little better decision right. based on cost. Hey, going back to our lines with John. Good morning, John. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, Lewis, sir. I, I enjoy listening to you even when I don't have problems. Well, thank you. It, it is just awesome. This is a real big opinion question. Okay. I have a son who's looking to buy his first car. Mm-hmm. He's probably looking to spend three to $5,000. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the question would be just wide open. If you if you had somebody like looking for that, mm-hmm. what year range they'd be looking in? This is a, his first car. Mm-hmm. Looking for dependable transportation. Where would he go? What year would he look at? And okay. any car that you think is a good good thing to look at? John, in that price range, you're going to be a little bit limited just because when he starts looking for cars, you'll find out pretty fast cars cost a whole lot now. Yes. What I would look for, and he's going to hate this, <laughs> <laughs> but what I would be looking for is a car like a Grand Marquis or a Crown okay. Vic. Okay. And the reason I say that is because, number one, it's a rear-wheel drive car, so it's very, very safe. It's very robust. It's fairly simple to operate. And the market is loaded with those cars. Reason being, mostly older people drive those cars. And older people have resources. They can afford to trade every four or five years. And so that kind of drives the market down because lots of them own the market. Young people don't like that car, so they don't bid them up. I mean, a better car would be a Toyota or a Honda, but you're just not going to touch anything in that price range that doesn't have gajillion miles on it and is 20 years old just because young people pay a high price for them because they want them. They're in high demand. Okay. What I would look for as far as the car itself, I would be almost unconcerned about the miles, but I would want the newest car I could find. And there's years of far worse than miles. So let's say you could find a three-year-old Crown Vic with 180,000 miles. I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. Okay. You might also find a five-year-old one with 120,000 miles in that price range. In other words, the miles are really not nearly as important as the years. Now, what you don't want 
is a 15-year-old with 30,000 miles because that car okay. is going to be wore slam out. It has not been driven. And there's lots of them like that as well because a lot of elderly people have those cars. They don't drive them much. So there's a lot of them that are old and have low, low mileage. Those are generally not a very good purchase. So don't be fooled by that. What you want is the newest one you can find. Don't worry too much about the miles at the price you want. And other than that, have it checked, pre-purchase inspection. Just make sure nothing's wrong with that car. But that's a real bargain as far as cars go. It's one of the cars you can buy at a reasonable price. They get good gas mileage. Most of them will give you 16, 17 in town and 25 on the road. So okay. they get decent gas mileage. They're very safe. They're very robust, and they're easy to fix. He could probably learn how to work on it himself for the most part. And what should he expect to pay for a pre-purchase inspection? We charge by the time we spend. And it's sort of ironic. The better the car, the more it's going to cost, because I'm looking for a reason not to buy the car. Okay. We charge in one-tenth of an hour increments. Now, okay. a bomb that comes in, a real piece of junk, it's going to take me about 10 minutes to tell that. And I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to say, John, this car's been cut in half welded together. You don't want it. And we're going to stop right there. A nice car, we might take an hour going over it. So that gives you the range. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Thank Thank you. you. Hey, I see we're just totally out of time for today. We want to thank everybody who called today and everybody who's listening to us. That's right. And I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends and go to iTunes and Stitcher and give us a written rating. Yeah, I really appreciate that. It kind of moves us up in the ratings and also makes our day. It gets everybody that can find us. That's right. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.